0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom, but I've been up pretty early this morning working on what we're going to be talking about, which is Hosea. And uh, it's one of the minor prophets, although he is mentioned in, or at least quoted in the New Testament. He is a very interesting uh, one of the prophets uh, because he uh, is a lot, talking about a lot of redemption, talking about the problems of Israel and Judea and uh, the kingdom of Judah and uh, its fall back in around 780 uh, B.C., there are some messages there that are actually timeless and uh, can help us understand not only the gospel itself but the entire Bible because he is in all the, all the prophets including all the minor prophets are all saying the same thing and uh, they're just saying it in different ways. And that's what uh, I find kind of amazing. Hosea is kind of both uh, prophesying John the Baptist as well as Jesus himself. And uh, he he presents all this uh, in a rather short book of the Bible. And we'll take a look and see what uh, he has to offer. Now he lived, or at least uh, was pretty active between about 750 and 722 B.C., and this was kind of a time of turmoil. We had already had uh, the people in Samuel 8 asking to have a king. And they were warned that if you have a king, he's going to end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. And eventually you're going to cry out because life is absolutely miserable under the kings. And uh, God's not even going to hear you. And God's not going to hear you because you didn't listen to Samuel in the beginning (laughs) and you wanted to have a king. So a lot of people talk about the fact that uh, the people rejected uh, God by their adulterous relationship. And the reality is they rejected God long before their adulterous relationship, which is why they had this adulterous relationship. And I'll mention it n a number of times that most of the time when they mention adultery in the Bible, Old and New Testament, they're actually talking about national adultery. And so what is national adultery? Well we're gonna look into that and a lot of other things. Uh there are these there are at least twelve of these minor prophets and we're gonna to try to go through all of them. We've we've got a lot of studies up. Somebody was asking, they were looking for a study Bible and of course we use the king james just about all the time some people have a little trouble with that language but it's a challenge but the reality is uh, is that uh you have to kind of think outside of what you've been taught in catechism what you've been taught about the bible because this process of national adultery and going back into the bondage of egypt and uh bringing about what we see every day in the news. Uh Right now, uh, this is uh, 2020 that we're doing this recording in, and 2020 has been an unusual year, to say the least. Crazy things have happened in the news. Crazy things have happened in the world. We have uh, destroyed the economy, not just nationally, but worldwide. Millions of people will... Are suffering and many are starving to death. Many children are starving to death because of the fear of a virus that has a 99 point something survival rate. And so, you know, people say, oh well, we couldn't just let it go. Everybody would be dead. But actually that it was just a false premise and false models and, and we've gone over and over that. But the reality is we, We're willing to believe the lie about that because we have become accustomed to believing lies. And in order to overcome lies, we must have the humility to admit that we've been fooled, that we have made a mistake, that we are in error. And this is one of the hardest things for people who like graduate from... uh, Universities and colleges, they've invested uh, tens of thousands of dollars in their education. They think they know already, but what they know just ain't so. And so it's hard for them to turn around and take a look again at what they've already learned to find out is that really true. Well, they say that uh, like 70% of the kids going into college today are already believe in socialism and do not consider themselves conservatives. We talked about the Cato Institute having a survey amongst people of all ages and found that most people do not know what socialism is. And including the kids who graduate from college, people over 30, most of them do not know what socialism is. But in the process of asking people what is socialism, and we have defined, you know, that's a defined term. Uh, It's pretty consistent in this definition, although people are trying to kind of dress it up a little bit over the years. But it's still pretty much defined the same way. And uh the only ones who seem to know and, and can actually recite a definition right off when asked on the street or wherever what socialism is are the people who are not socialists, who don't believe in socialism. Conservatives are the only ones who consistently give a correct definition of socialism. So all these people who believe in socialism... Who cannot define it? they don't know what they actually believe in they just know they believe that in socialism, but they can't actually define what it is. So this is really what we have with the people who say they believe in Jesus uh, they they believe in God, but they don't know what that means they don't they can't define. What really Jesus was all about and who he was as an individual. What he was saying, what he was teaching the people, what he was commanding the people to do. Most people who claim to be Christians do not have any idea whatsoever of when Christ commanded his disciples to make the people do something. They don't even know what that is. That he commanded his disciples to make the people do. It's in the text. It's it's mentioned several times. There's an absolute clear reason why, which he also instructs, that his disciples were to be not like the governments of the Gentiles, but to be different. Most people don't know how they were different, what they were supposed to be doing, and how they were supposed to be doing it. How he was organizing his ecclesia. Most people don't even know what the word ecclesia means, or what, which is the word, the Greek word that we translate into church. They don't know. They think it means assembly. Those who have even studied enough to even know what ecclesia uh, that it, that is the original Greek word. They think it means assembly. Yet there's dozens of words that mean assembly, and that's really not one. Now, an ecclesia might assemble, but it means the called out. And there was a called out in the wilderness, who was the Levites, and there was a called out by Christ, which were the apostles, the 70, the 120 in the upper room. These were called out. These were his little flock. These were the ones he appointed the kingdom to, But they could not exercise authority like other governments. So these are really basics that everybody should be extremely familiar with. But they are not familiar with them because they already think they know. But we're told that we're to be like a little child. A little child knows he doesn't know. He's looking around, learning everything. Learning language, learning how to interact. He's playing games even with uh, other children to try to figure out how to become and grow up to be an adult. And the environment in which that child grows up into is going to have a permanent effect, uh, almost guaranteed permanent effect on the way they think. And that, of course, is why 70% of the kids going into college are... believe in socialism because they've grown up in public schools. And public schools are a socialist institution. They are supported by funds, extracted, redistributed, by taking those funds away from your neighbors and giving them to the government and the governments create the schools. The original public schools were financed by free will offerings of the people, not by taxation. Yet they were public schools made available to the general public to go and get an education. But they were funded by charity. We think that always public schools were funded by tax dollars. What taxes were those? How were they doing that? Now there were a few places where public schools received some tax money. Massachusetts was one of the first places to do that, but for even until the beginning of the 1900s, most public education was financed heavily, if not completely, by charity, charity in the local community. That is going to create a different atmosphere. So we've been, we've already made all the mistakes that uh, Hosea was born into. If he was around 750, it was already, the kingdom was dividing up. Uh, he was uh, uh sent to tell the people to repent its sins because they were in apostasy. He warned of a judgment to come from God around uh this fall of the northern kingdom of Israel because Israel had already divided into... Judah and Israel. Now, there were other tribes other than Judah in the kingdom of Judah, but some of those were probably also up with the kingdom of Israel, what they called Israel. But, of course, the kingdom of Israel had said, after Rehoboam said, My father whipped you with whips, I will whip you with scorpions, they said, What is David to us? and they did not go to their cities they went back to their tents when you see those phrases went to their their the city or went back to their tents they're telling you about a particular status when they went back to their tents the power that they had vested in David to be the father of the nation that's really what they were doing when they invested certain powers in Uh, Saul and then eventually into David and eventually into Solomon and eventually into Rehoboam. Some of them said, well, we leave that inheritance that was vested in that office of king and we're going to go out on our own. When they first went out on their own, they were extremely successful because they still had Those qualities that made Israel great. They had grown up in a world that made Israel great. A world designed by Moses or designed by God through Moses. And this made their nation extremely strong. But they were blinded when they went out on their own. And then they started creating institutions that changed the environment of society and therefore changed the thinking of the people. And as we go through Hosea, we're going to see how that is and relate some of those events that we see mentioned in Hosea, how they altered the minds of the Israelites, how they degenerated their thinking. So they could no longer see what made Israel great. And they became a different people. And they cut themselves off from God by their daily ministration, by their daily practices. So Hosea denounces the worship of gods other than Jehovah. So what does that look like? Metaphorically comparing Israel's abandonment of Jehovah to a woman being unfaithful to her husband. Most references in the Bible to adultery, as I said, are national adultery. And this of course is why we see in Revelation where they talk about the horror of Babylon and the daughters of the horror of Babylon. What what is that all about? This is about national adultery. Uh, we talk about the bride of Christ and Jesus being the husband. And so, who is the bride of Christ? Well, it's the church. But the church, again, is the called out. The called out are those, that little flock that he appointed a kingdom to and explained to them how to operate in that kingdom. And we see that in the first century. Right away, they are uh, creating a daily ministration to rightly divide bread from house to house. To practice pure religion, which is the care for the widows and orphans of society. They're doing it as uh, and according to the ways of John the Baptist who said, do this by charity. If you Take what you have that is extra and sacrifice it and take care of one another. And we see Christ commanding that the people sit down in tens, hundreds, and thousands so that they can properly redistribute that wealth that is freely given in charity rather than the wealth that was being forced to be given by Herod and the Pharisees that was making the word of God to none effect, which was the Corban. Corban means meaning sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect because it was forced John the Baptist and the people who followed him were also making a sacrifice, but it was based on free will offerings. And in that distinction, we see the difference between early Christianity and what the Pharisees were doing, which is actually also the difference between modern Christianity and early Christianity, because modern Christians take care of most of their needs, most of their welfare, most of their, the, the fulfillment of their duty to God and their fellow man, they do it by forced offerings, through men who exercise authority one over the other. So even if you don't want to believe that the ecclesia was the called out, if you think you're the church, but you're taking care of the needy by force through men who exercise authority one over the other you're disobeying Christ because he said it was not to be that way with you whether you think the church is just the called out or all the congregations of the people you're not doing that if you're dependent upon men who exercise authority to take care of your parents to take care of the sick to take care of the elderly in your communities to take care of those who get injured. If you're depending upon men who force the contributions of the people, you're not following Jesus. You're not following John the Baptist. You're not following Moses. If you think you're a Jew and you're doing that, you're not following Moses. You're certainly not following Abraham, who would not take one buckle of uh, the rewards of unrighteousness, which were the rewards forced to be contributed to a public coffer by men who exercise authority like the king of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not sodomy. Sodomy was the evidence of the sin. What the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is, and it tells you this in the Bible, that in a time of affluence they did not strengthen the poor. And that's what's happened today with our war on poverty, our our New Deal offered to us by FDR, the Great Society offered to us by LBJ. They have destroyed society and, and degenerated society, as Polybius said, into perfect savages. Which is why, you know, we've in our last studies where we've been talking about people like Walter Williams, who said the most damage done to the Black Americans is inflicted by those politicians, civil rights leaders, and academics. That's those people in high school and and, in college. Uh, academics who assert that every problem confronting blacks is the result of the legacy of slavery and discrimination. That's a vision that guarantees perpetuity for the problems. So we, we reviewed that book, White Fragility. You can go back and hear our audios on that. You join the network and we can make all those things available to you. You can find them yourselves if you just use the search engines on our websites at org or preparingyou.com. But, uh, we reviewed White Fragility and, uh, which is an unprovable, uh, unfalsifiable theory deceptively framed to convince readers of their own white guilt. And white guilt feeds affirmative action which poisons the soul of society. This is the things that people like Walter Williams are pointing out constantly. Uh, he has shown with facts, history, and data that it is the welfare state That has done to black Americans what slavery and Jim Crow laws could never do. Destroy the black family. And now we have Black Lives Matter wanting to undermine the uh, black family. Now, Black Lives Matter represents a very small portion of the black community. Although it's a catchy phrase and it's got a lot of people listening to it. The reality is it's a byproduct. Of what we have already done back in 1910, 1930, uh, 1935, 1950, 1960, 1970. The black community is simply the canary in the coal mine. Where we see, you know, 12%, blacks represent 12% of the American population, yet they represent 50% of the murders are done by blacks. Now, most blacks are not doing that. It's just a small percentage. But this, what we saw happen to the black community, because of people like Cloward and Piven, we have articles up and recordings up on them at Preparing You. They, they targeted the black community. So that's how they became the canary in the coal mine. But Hosea was having the same problems. He came on the scene after the people had divided. He came on the scene after Samuel 8, where the people begged for a king. The problem didn't begin with Black Lives Matter. It didn't begin with LBJ's war on poverty. It did not begin with even FDR and his New Deal. Those were leaps in a particular direction, but they began with the fact that you've turned away from the real understanding of the biblical text. And so we're going to try to go through Hosea. And see if we can't get some grasp. Of what it is that's caused the problem. People wake up today and find out that they're not sui jurists. They're not in possession of their rights. That uh, That government has way too much power and control. So they want to seize that power back. All you have to do is repent. Think differently. But you can't just think randomly differently. You have to think the way Christ was trying to teach us. The way John the Baptist was trying to teach us. The way Moses and Abraham was trying to teach the people. If you think that way, the changes will be wrought in you by the Holy Spirit. If you think you can just figure it out, that you can, you know, fill out papers or change some Vague little uh, uh, alteration in the way in which you operate in the world. And then suddenly you will be free. You better think again. You better take on the full armor of Christ. Because evil is afoot. Evil is is hunting you down. It is seeking to devour who it wills like a beast upon the land. And so, changing the way you think means you have to be humble enough to think different than what you already think to be true. <laughs> you have to think much differently. So anyway, uh, you can go to Preparing You, and we have the Bible there. We have uh, footnotes and... uh we have side panels now, and studies haven't gone entirely to Hosea, but hopefully we will in the next few weeks. So, what is Hosea really all about, for those that don't have any idea? Hosea's uh, unfaithful wife, Gomer, was this whore. He actually was supposedly told by God, and now, how was he told by God? We'll look at that in the text. What that means to be told by God. Cause God might be telling you to do something and you may not even know how to even listen to God. Or you may have so much going on in your head you can't even hear God. So it's, God's not gonna be a voice. He's going to be a spiritual awakening in you. Not an emotional awakening, but a spiritual awakening. So he was told to marry this, this, you know, a whore. Uh, a woman who sells herself to men and uh who may have sold herself into bondage and then be sold by men into a position as a prostitute. And of course that that's not uncommon. That that happens today all the time. Women are selling themselves to somebody it's yes, like the woman who uh a rich man says to her, he says, Would you marry me for uh A million dollars? If I give you a million dollars, would you marry me? And she says, yes. And uh, he says, well, will you sleep with me for $20? And she says, no. What kind of girl do you think I am? I says, well, we know what kind of girl you are. I'm just haggling over the price. And the reality is a lot of women sell themselves. They put on a look, an attitude, uh, a way about them to get what they want. And it works with a lot of men, but really you want, you want to serve God. You want to do what God wants you to do. And God, what God wants you to do, you will be better off following that. And so, unfortunately, a lot of people have created religions that aren't really religions. They've turned religion from the pious performance of a duty to God and your fellow man into what you think. And so, you look for a church that thinks like you, the way you want to think. What you want to do is find a church that thinks the way Christ was telling us to go, and, and wants to go that same way. And that—that's—that's that's what you need to do before you look for a husband or for a wife. But Hosea was told to marry a woman who was a woman of ill repute. A woman who was prostituted herself. Or was prostituted by. We don't really know exactly. Why she was in this state. But anyway. And her name was Gomer. Uh, But that's kind of a metaphor. Uh, This whole story is kind of an allegory. Of our relationship with Yahweh. As the nation of Israel. Because Israel had divided itself. And it had gone eventually goes whoring after other gods. and So we're going to have to take a look at what that looks like. The apostasy of the people having turned away from God and served both the calves of Jeroboam in Hosea 8 uh, verses 4 through 6 and Baal, Hosea uh, 2, we see that in Hosea 2, which would then include becoming subject to the Canaanite God who loved to oppress the people. So what's the Canaanite God? What What's that all about? Uh, we see in Hosea 12, 7. He is a merchant. And the balance of deceit are in his hand. He loveth to oppress. Okay, what did Peter say about becoming merchandise? That we would become merchandise... The word Canaanite means merchant, merchant of men. It's like the Asurus back in India. Uh, these Asurus were merchants of men. When uh, we see in Revelation where it talks about owning a full stock, the merchants of the earth, owning a full stock of all these precious things and slaves and the souls of men. And Peter saying that we would become merchandise we would curse our children and make them a surety for debt so that they become merchandise as well. And we do all this through covetous practices. And that's really when they talk about these golden calves or these calves. Those are symbols of these covetous practices. Because either you're taking care of one another through the ways in which John the Baptist said, and Jesus said, through love and through charity... Or you're taking care of one another through men who exercise authority one over the other and force the contributions, thereby making the word of God to none effect, because your sacrifice is the result of a forced contribution. Because you you are not idiotas like the apostles, but you have signed up for a system that is based on socialism, which is, by its nature, covetous. And so that's that covetous practices that we see coming about at the beginning of the 1900s where uh, they began to move in a direction that would allow for FDR's new deal. They had to have a Federal Reserve in place before FDR offered his new deal. And we had that going back to 1913 and events in 1916 and And uh, also we had to change the way people were thinking. And that began back in 1908, which we cover in uh, Schools as Tools. Our article on that show you that in 1908, we give you evidence in the Reese Commission. You can look that up, R-E-E-C-E, the Reese Commission at Preparing You. And there's audios and videos there that will show you that they were gonna change the way in which you think. If you go back to the late eighteen hundreds, they began to try to force public education on people back east and uh where you had to send your kids to a public school or at least to some school. And then of course of course even at the turn of the century in nineteen hundreds, most schools were private schools. They were not public schools. And most public schools were heavily funded, therefore heavily controlled, by the parents who sent their children to those schools. And so that's all changed in this century alone. And in this last two generations, if you count 50 years as a generation, huge changes in the way in which we do things in the world have taken place. Same thing was going on before Hosea. And so, he arrives on the scene when all this is is going on in Hosea. So, we can see that this adultery has to do with not depending upon the called out of God, who redistribute wealth, rightly divide bread from house to house, work daily in the temple of men, the temple that was supposed to not be built out of dead stones, but living stones, lively stones... To take care of the needy of society in a network of tens, hundreds and thousands through charity, we haven't been doing that for a hundred years. I mean, we were still in the early 1900s, 1920. So now here we are in 2020. a hundred years has gone by, and we are almost not doing that at all. Ninety percent of the charity, maybe even more, of the charity or provisions, let call it provisions, not charity. The legal charity is the term. You can look that up at Preparing You. We have an article on what legal charity is. Legal meaning not lawful, but meaning bound. You're bound. Legal has to do with lex legis, which means to bind. Religion can mean to bind. And religion, pure religion, binds the people together through love. Because pure religion operates by... Love and charity, hope and faith. Impure religion, false religion, legal religion, binds the people together by covenants and contracts, by fealty and by force, because they force the contributions of the people. Now, what I'm saying here just all fits together. It all fits with the biblical text, and we're going to see that in Hosea. And we're going to see it in all the other prophets. But it doesn't fit together with what most modern Christians think. They think they're Christians. They think they believe in Jesus. They probably also think wearing masks will save them from the coronavirus. <laughs> because they're going to be easily duped. Because what happens when you turn your mind off to the truth, which is Should be self-evident when you read the Bible, but it is not. Because you have been trained up in the ways of Baal. You've been trained up in these, these ways of, uh, the golden calves of Jeroboam. That we see in Hosea 8 through 4, 6. Verses 4 and 6. So, how, and we've written all kinds of articles on these things, but anyway, scholars, are often at odds with one another because they are less than honest in their interpretation of Hosea and Gomer's relationship. If you go to the Targum of the Minor Prophets uses the imagery of harlots and adultery, but does not mention Gomer nor the marriage. The school of thought coming from Antioch and the writers like Isubius, who helped put the bible together treated Gomer's adultery as literal while Cyril of Alexandria uh fueled the debate by taking the literal approach generally Alexandrian school of thought pressed the the metaphor and the allegory as confirmed by Origen and Jerome now i, I don't i'm not advocating Jerome or even Origen I'm just saying that there was this difference of opinion in the early days when they were first putting the Bible together. You have to remember the Bible you have now, you have it by way of miracle, but the ones who put it together were people like Constantine, who wasn't even a Christian, never really became a Christian. Uh, it was doing things absolutely contrary to what Jesus said. But he was creating a church that called itself a Christian church, but it's really the Church of Constantine. But anyway, it was people like Eusebius and him that put the Bible together and they excluded a lot of books. doesn't mean that they weren't inspired. It just means that they weren't included in the Bible, put together by Constantine and Eusebius. Now, you also have to look at, if you were to make those books back then, you could hardly lift a Bible that would have all those books in it because the paper was so heavy and thick and the writing, you had to hand write these things. So it was reasonable to create a a a more condensed version of the Bible. And that's what, you know, of, of the sacred writings. It doesn't mean that the ones that didn't get in the Bible weren't sacred. They may have been sacred. Even the Bible itself says all writings all writings. It, it, they, they translate it scripture, but it says all writings. The, when that was written down, there was no Bible as we know it. They weren't talking about the Bible as we know it. They're saying all writings. So you can read almost anything because it isn't the writings that enlighten you, it's the Holy Spirit that enlightens you. So, anyway. Uh, We, I look at people like Jerome and Origen and everything just to show you and I bring them up just to show you that there were different of, difference of opinion. Bible talks about it being an allegory. Many of the stories in the Bible are allegories. Some of them may be allegories and absolutely historical as well. But then we can get into the question of exactly, you know, how you translate the Bible because the Essenes used the Torah, and the Pharisees used the Torah. But they came to completely different conclusions about what the Torah meant. And this is the problem with translations, as translators are traitors. But the Holy Spirit is the one that will make the truth come clear in the text. Jerome, as usual, seemed to Attempt to mediate between these two schools of thought—that whether it was simply an allegory or it was an actual fact. Uh, some will argue that the uh, proleptic approach—that Gomer was sexually pure before marrying Hosea—but by Christ's own words, adultery is an act of the heart, and who is uh, truly pure without being filled? with the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's what we have to realize, is that it is the Holy Spirit that is our comforter, not the Bible. The Bible is a tool. It's a gift. But it's the Holy Spirit that allows us to read it and understand what it is saying. And while the Holy Spirit may list it where it will, you can do an awful lot to block the presence of the Holy Spirit or the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Vanity is one of those big spiritually constipating uh, qualities that you want to set aside. So humility is where you really want to be going when you're looking into the meaning of the Bible. So yeah, I'm not hearing anything from the station. We didn't hear any breaks or anything. So we're just going to keep on going here. Uh, And hopefully this will be made available to everybody. Again, most Of the uh, mention of adultery in the Bible is this national adultery, not sexual adultery. And so, but the reality is the creation of mankind, the creation of man and woman, is giving us insight into the spiritual realm of our existence. God is through the Spirit of God moving upon the darkness of the deep and upon the earth. That created the earth. And all the living things on the earth. So the the character of God. Is seen also in nature. But we only see it clearly. If we see it from a spiritual point of view. Nature. The world and the flesh. Are constantly trying to seduce us away. From understanding the spiritual reality. That is all around us. And manifested in the physical world. If we cut out. Part of the character of God from the way in which we live, we will live in darkness. We will not see clearly. We will become corrupted because we will cut off the Spirit of God in our own hearts. And that's what happened when they did not listen to Samuel's warning. And they said, yeah, we'll have a king anyway. Even though we know he's going to take and take and take and take. And we're going to cry out eventually. And when we cry out, God won't even hear us. They said that. And they they couldn't hear God. They wouldn't hear God anymore. And God would not hear them. Now, if you want God to hear your prayers, you need to hear God's warnings. You need to hear God's directions. You are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors. That's socialism. Socialism has men who exercise authority and force the contributions of the people and the redistribution of that wealth. That's contrary to the teachings of Christ. Yet people who think they're Christians will actually tell you that Christ was a socialist because he believed in helping the poor. But he helped poor through charity, not through force. So this is really basic stuff. Hosea was not always an old and wise prophet. He was a young man and made choices based on limited knowledge and understanding. But God sees a man in time and knows what is... The wisest steps he can and is willing to take. Gomer may have not, uh, you know, always uh, been a harlot. Maybe, you know, God wanted him, God led him to marry Gomer and maybe she became a harlot. And so, then that meant Hosea had to forgive Gomer and take her back again. And this is exactly what we see with Israel when it went whoring after other gods. And again, we have to understand what that looks like. What's the golden calf? We have an article on golden calf. You can go to uh, preparingyou.com. We have detailed article on what the golden calf was. And we give you examples how all these city-states in Greece, many of them, not all of them, had golden statues and what was the purpose of the statues because we know from history they tell us what they were using those for and how they were using them to bind the people together by centralizing the wealth of the people and taking all the gold and silver out of the pockets of the people and putting it in the hands of the state Sparta did this Athens did this and Israel did this in order to bind the people together so that they would be safe in the desert where there were all these Malachites and Amaleks and everything. But Moses said no. The wealth had to be in your pocket. You had to use other means to bind your community together. One of the things that I see going on in these riots out there, besides the just the obvious insanity of it, is that, you know, uh, if you go amongst the black community, as an example, looking at the canary in the coal mine, because that they... The way they have gone is the way that we're going because they're just a little ahead of us, not because they're black, but because people like uh, Cloward and Piven targeted the black communities with their socialism. But, you know, 80% of the blacks in the black community, which there shouldn't even be a black community, it should just be communities, but uh, they want more police. Equal, the same amount of police coverage or more. They don't want to defund the police. They don't want to get rid of the police. But yet you, you look at the riots, you look at the people in the streets and they're all saying this other thing. But why is 20 or 30% of the people controlling 100% of the people? Why, why is their scenario being listened to? Why, why is that going on? It's because the people have become weak. They've become weak because of the nature of society, and the nature of society changed in the 1900s. Like I said, in 1908, in 1910, 1913, 1916, all these things were changing because the government was offering you more and more programs or setting up more and more programs that changed the environment of your community and thereby changing your mind. And the way you think. Repentance is going back and thinking the way you should have been thinking. Without the structures. In your society to do it. Well what structure did Christ give you? Christ gave you the church. Christ gave you the church and said. To take care of one another. Love one another as I have loved you. We're seeing Hosea coming on the scene. When they have gone through the same process. And people aren't thinking. So. How does Hosea having Gomer, this, this harlot for a wife, or this woman who was either promiscuous before or after or during their marriage, or at least this metaphoric story where he has to forgive her and take her back in, and, uh, keeps her as his wife over and over again. So, what, what are we gonna learn from this story that can be related to our own lives? And the the present delusion of the people where they think that, you know, half the people in America think they're Christians. And they're not. They're not doing what the early church did. They're certainly not doing what Christ told them to do. They actually have a whole religion that says you don't have to do what Christ said. You just have to say you believe in Christ and you're saved. Yet Christ said not those who say, but those who do. Not only do what he says, but do the will of the Father. How are we doing the will of the Father when we're actually coveting our neighbor's goods through the, the, the authority of men who exercise authority one over the other? Through their power, we are taking a bite out of one another and therefore we have been devoured. And our thinking has been changed. Repentance is thinking the other way. You may see what I'm saying is true. You may look out there at the world and you say, I don't want to be a part of that. But are you doing what Christ commanded you to do? Sitting down in the tens of thousands and practicing pure religion by taking care of one another through faith, open and charity. If you're not doing that, whatever revelation you have received from God that allows you to see the problems around about you, like in the book, Covenants of the Gods, which I wrote first, 15 chapters looking at 15 different aspects of how our thinking has been changed by the environments we have created for ourselves, by the choices we have made or our parents have made before us or our grandparents before them. You will forget, you will lose sight of that revelation. It will become as a dream if you do not put it into action. You have to put it into action. One of the big problems is sometimes the wife sees it first and the husband doesn't. So he doesn't want to become a part of a network of charity. Or maybe the husband sees it first, but the wife feels very insecure because it's not like the church she's used to. So she's thwarting the husband and and putting obstacles. You don't need, you know, to become a member of a congregation at his holy church or what we're setting up through the living network. You don't have to go to a church building. You don't have to genuflect to make the sign of the cross or wear a certain outfit, you know. You can you don't have to use a certain bible. Like I say, I use King James just for consistency. Not because it's necessarily the best. I find fault with all of them, but I find no fault in the holy spirit. I find that if you have the Holy Spirit, almost, you could pick up almost, maybe not the Living Bible, but almost any other Bible you could pick up and still figure this out. You know, because it's all there. Uh, so anyway, uh, I wanted to quote Leo Tolstoy and I do this on the, our page, Hosea, where I talk about Hosea for a while before we actually get into the text. Everyone thinks of changing the world. I think I said that wrong. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Christ started out, John the Baptist started out with the word repent. Repent is changing the way you think. So changing yourself is critical. But putting, once you begin to think correctly according to what Christ is actually saying, you have to put that into action in order to make a memory, to make it so that you remember it. And besides the golden calf article we have, we also have an uh, article on the red heifer, and we have an article on uh, sacrifice. I actually could take several, uh, you know, on the golden calf and, and wisdom. Those all kinds of articles, and you just, you go and you read these things, but you have to implement them in your life. And the way to do that is to do what Christ commanded, which is just astounding that most people don't know that. So in chapters 1 and 2, uh, this is the account of Hosea's marriage with Gomer, biographically, which is uh, a metaphor or an allegory, possibly, with uh, concerning our relationship with Yadavahe, with Yahweh, with and Israel. Uh, chapter 3, account of Hosea's marriage, and it's also autobiographical. This is uh, possibly the marriage to a different woman, according to some. But we don't need to haggle over all these different interpretations. That's why I mentioned uh, the Targum and, and Jerome and uh, Isidius and Alexandria. They all had a little bit different opinions, but you can get lost in that uh jots and tittles and the letter of what he was saying, it is really just basically understanding that if we are to be forgiven we need to forgive others, the same as Hosea forget forgave Gomer. And if we are to desire mercy, we must have mercy for others. This is in the three children, which we'll go through and why those particular names were given to the three children of Hosea and Gomer. But anyway, chapters 4 uh, through 14 and the varying lengths, uh, it's, it's all the oracle judging Israel, Ephraim in particular, for not living up to the covenant. And so understanding the covenant, understanding what the golden calf was, what Corbin was, why one sacrifice makes the word of God to none effect, and the other one draws us near God and God near us. So understanding those things are going to be really important. So we'll uh take a little break maybe here. Yeah, Paul can see some of the things that I can't see. So <laughs> I thought I'd check in with him. Uh, but anyway, we'll, uh, we'll just keep going. We'll start right at the beginning of Hosea 1 and, uh, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Bere, in the days of Uzziah, and Jotham, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Johash, king of Israel. So we see that there are the two kingdoms already in existence. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So, again, we've gone over what you know was she a virgin when they got married did he uh did she get, get go out and get herself into trouble after they were married and then but God can see this relationship in time the point is Hosea and Gomer were to be husband and wife and uh that's that's somehow or other Hosea knew that uh, so he went and took Gomer the daughter of uh, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while. And I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. So he's talking about Israel that is this separate kingdom. These are the ones who said, what is David to us? And they went off from the kingdom of Judah and denounced their inheritance under this, uh, King David's lineage, which would eventually produce Christ. They denounced it and went away and tried to do their own thing. Now, this, there had to be some good men amongst them that just simply did not want to be a part of the corruption of Rehoboam and the rest of them. And they went off on their own, thinking that they could go off on their own without God. Now, the, the mistake wasn't that they went off on their own so much. The mistake was that they wanted to have a king to begin with. And the reason that they wanted to have a king to begin with is they had already made some mistakes before that. Before they had a king, they had been jealous, they had been envious, they had been slothful. Remember, the slothful shall be under tribute. When they picked a king, they went under tribute. This is what Samuel is saying. He's going to take and take and take and take. He's going to, you know, start out with 3% Social Security tax and end up with 14 or 15% Social Security tax. (laughs) Because. Since the beginning of Social Security, they have been taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. People say, well, I have a right to the benefits because I paid in. You never paid in. You never paid it. You've been paying off debt. The system was created because you were already in debt. The, The Social Security system is not the problem. It's evidence of the problem. The problem goes back to at least the creation of the Federal Reserve, but it actually goes back to the Constitution itself. It goes back to the 13th and 14th Amendments. It goes back, it goes back and back and back and back. So where does the problem begin? You have no control over where it began. You only have control over whether you will repent. This is why we wrote the book Covenants, uh, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. All the books, you can buy them from us, but you can also read them free online. You don't have to register your email with us or anything. But uh, we have them all free online. But the contracts, uh, covenants and constitutions clearly show that we the people was not the average American living on his land in America. That's not, that wasn't we the people. You weren't even a party to the constitution, and most of the people didn't want the Constitution. So, so why do you think the Constitution is your salvation? It's not. That's part of thinking differently. We don't, I'm not trying to destroy the Constitution. I just want you to understand the Constitution is not your salvation. Becoming sui juris is not your salvation. Putting on the full armor of God and obeying the commands of Christ is where your salvation can be found. But your salvation is in Christ and in the Comforter He sends you, which is the Holy Spirit. If you begin to see some of the things that I'm saying, that's great. And it's probably a byproduct of letting the Holy Spirit into your life a little bit. But you need to put on the full armor of God, which means you have to walk in the ways of Christ, which are the ways of charity and love and compassion for one another. Verse (laughs) 4, And the Lord said unto him, call his name Jezreel for yet a little while and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. That little while. That's important to understand that little while. There's almost a double meaning in everything in Hosea and throughout the Bible you'll find a lot of things where things are repeated twice that means that chances are, if it's prophetic, that it's going to take place twice. If it's repeated three times, it may take place three times. But there's there's always kind of a yin and yang in this presentation of the truth. There's the There's the truth and there's the counterfeit of the truth. Even though Israel said, what is David to us and went off and became this other kingdom, it doesn't mean that Judah was not without problems. Now there, there was a lineage that was going to have to be fulfilled all the way down to John the Baptist and Jesus Christ so that Jesus Christ could become both priest and high, uh, you know, high priest and king so that he could take the kingdom away from the Pharisees and appoint it to a new group which we call the church, but it's not the church you see out there because they've gone back to the same whoredom and the same uh ways that are contrary to the ways of Christ yet with their lips they profess Christ and Jesus even says many will say that they they follow me and that they believe in me but I don't know them and they don't know me it's in Hosea where we're warned yea for the lack of knowledge that that's that's a quote out of Hosea so in verse 5 we see, And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So now we've got a valley named Jezreel. and We're talking about breaking the bow of Israel. So what does that mean? So just make a note there. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. Now he's going through this whole... Thing with Gomer in this very uh, first chapter. He's, but we're going to see how this all pans out in the following chapters. But he bears a daughter now, not a son. And God said unto him, Call her name Loruhama, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away so he's going to break their bow he's going to take them away in the valley of Jezreel but I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow nor by sword nor by battle by horses nor by horsemen so he's going to save them but not not by bow so, how is he going to save them? Now, when she had weaned Loro Hama, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, Call his name Loamai. Which is almost sounds a little similar to what the daughter's name is, but it means something much different. For ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. So, these names, there's something in the meaning of these names and we'll take a look at that, but uh let's get through the chapter and then we'll come and and read into the side panel where I have some extra notes that I actually was expanding on just before the program. Yet the number of children of Israel shall be as the sands of the sea. So he's going to break their bow, but this kingdom of Israel is going to be this huge uncountable number, sands of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. Who's that? (laughs) That's the Christians, that they are going to be the sons of the living God. Of course, Jews have always thought of themselves as the sons of God. Uh, because they are supposedly... But that isn't always the case. They think of themselves that way, but opinions don't make it so. And there are many Christians who think they are Christians, but opinions don't make it so. So in verse 11 we see, Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land of great... For great shall be the day of Jezreel. Well, wait a minute. there's destroyed in Jezreel, but great is the day of Jezreel. So anyway, Hosea is supposed to have taken a wife of whoredom because the land hath committed great whoredom, departed from the Lord. This is in the side notes I have on the page at preparingyou.com. Whoredom is the Hebrew word for adultery, fornication, prostitution, Well, see, anybody who seeks the benefits of men who exercise authority, what the Bible refers to is the wages of unrighteousness or the rewards of unrighteousness. They are prostituting themselves. If they sell their access to their rights, they give up some of their God-given rights, some of what they should be inheriting, in order to obtain benefits from men who exercise authority, they are prostituting themselves. If the church does it, then the church is a whore. If the church is prostituting itself to obtain benefits from men who exercise authority, which Christ said they were not to be like, they are, they are whores. They are prostituting themselves. If they enter into systems that exercise authority one over the other to obtain benefits from men who call themselves benefactors but are really just redistributing other people's wealth, they are doing contrary to Christ. They are not no longer the bride of Christ. Now, they can repent and God will take them back. This is the whole story of Hosea. But they have to repent. Prostitution is not done out of love but for gain and benefits. We should be taking care of one another through love, through charity. The same word that is translated love is also translated charity. How has land hath committed great whoredom? How does the land commit? Well, you're land. You're, you're the dirt. You're the Adama of this world. You're the walking, living dirt of this world. And you've committed whoredoms because you have gone after God's many. Paul talks about the God's many. Right now, uh, we just had in the in the history of things with the time of this recording, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. And now the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief of the United States, being the apotheos of the United States. We have an article on apotheos, if you want to look that up at preparing you. The apotheos of the United States is the appointer of gods. That's what it means. He's going to appoint federal judges, been doing it right along. He's going to appoint new Supreme Court justices who will decide good and evil for you. And he wants to support uh, uh, appoint uh, and support someone who has his values or supposedly has his values for interpreting the Constitution of the United States, which the people didn't used to be a part of because they were not a party to the Constitution. Supreme Court ruled that over and over. But now they are a party to the Constitution. How did they become a party? to? The? They registered. They signed up for benefits from the corporate creations of the Constitution. The Constitution is a bit of a creates a corporation called the United States. It did that from the beginning. People act like in you know in the 1800s around 1870 that suddenly somebody changed the United States into a corporation. It was always a corporation. It's two or more people gathered together for a particular purpose under a pre-existing authority which is spelled out in the Constitution. But the relationship of the states to the United States has changed. The relationship of the people to the United States has changed. But it's changed by choice. Nobody legislated that you had to become a party to the Constitution. You chose to do that. But anyway, that's another old story. We'll get off on too much of a sidetrack. So, that's how the land has begun become involved with whoredom is because the people have become involved in whoredom. They look to these gods many, these ruling judges. If you go look up gods, just uh, search that on preparing you. There's a search engine up there in the right-hand corner. And there's articles that show you who the gods many of today are and who the gods many of Rome were uh, or was. Um So anyway, we would have to understand uh, the debating points of the scholars and what they are missing in the whole of the New Testament to understand this idea of how a whole nation can enter into whoredom. How, How do we do that? So, each of these children are, that of Gomer are symbols of the actions of the people that brings consequences to the whole nation. Breaking the bow is breaking down the ability of Israel to defend itself because different uh, a different way was sown amongst the people. This is what FDR was doing. This is what LBJ was doing. They were sowing amongst the people a different way to interact with, to, how to take care of the needy of your society. We used to do it through charity. Back in the 1900s, almost all the public schools were taken care of by charity, by the local people funding, building those schools. Even back when uh, Thomas Jefferson wanted to ha- pass a bill in Virginia that Every single ward would build a public school for people I mean they had private school, they had home schooling they people had some people that were wealthy enough had nannies that would help teach the children, but to create a public school would anybody could send their kids to that school, so he wanted to pass a bill to create schools in every ward of every county throughout Virginia. It did not pass, but it didn't matter because they were already doing that. Who was doing that? Was it tax dollars building those schools? You know who was building those schools? This is, I was just astounded when I read this in history because you you're not going to get this in your school books. It was the militia. The militia. Who's the militia? Every able-bodied man. They, they, they wanted to have a road come into their town uh, from the next town. They sent guys over to the next town and said, we want to have a road between us and 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 you guys, so that we can trade with you guys easily, we can carry wagons back and forth. We want to have a trade with you guys, and then you know if we have trouble, if we get attacked, Indian attack, if we have we want to be able to communicate with you. we don't want to just isolate ourselves off from you. so what happened? The militia would get together and start building a road from their side, and the militia in that other town would get together, and they'd start building a road from that side. <laughs> they knew now who who built the most road I don't know they, they would find out when they got it built but they would build that road between them and they'd work together to do it because they knew that they would be better off with that connection that's what they were doing and that was built by the militia it wasn't necessarily built with tax dollars it was built by voluntary labor because the militia is a voluntary army and just like uh, the centurions most of the, what the centurions did was not fight wars most of what the centurions did was build build roads build docks uh they go out and do mines they would do all kinds of things that they, they were less more likely to pick up a digling, digging digging implement or a cutting implement to cut down trees and to build things than to use their sword in battle. And originally in Rome, their army, their military, was all-volunteer army. It wasn't until just a little bit before Julius Caesar that they changed the environment of the army and they started supporting it with tax dollars. Now, of course, they taxed, you know, foreigners and 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 uh, other th- you know, people they had conquered and t- in order to fund the military mostly at first, but eventually they attached taxed everybody. But that changed the nature of Rome. Rome went from a republic to an indirect democracy with a commander-in-chief who was also the apotheos and the president of Rome, Principas Civitas. Those were the three offices that Augustus held some of the time while he was the emperor of Rome, which means commander-in-chief. So anyway, we see the same patterns happening today in history, but most people don't know history, so they don't know what I'm talking about. So anyway, uh if you look down at the... Uh, let's see, do I have those footnotes? I Actually, I have to reload the page because I added footnotes and I don't even see them <laughs> on my page here, but uh, I added them just before the show and I haven't reloaded the page. But uh, we have these three names of these children the three children and, and of Gomer. Each one of them has a different name. And the daughter was this rock uh, Amma. And what it actually is, is Lamad, Elef, Resh, Pe Mem, Chet. Those letters have a particular meaning and they're symbolic of having no mercy. The first part, Lamad, Elef, is is often, which is actually hand, uh, lamad, meaning the hand, the thing you work with, and elef, can be considered a negative letter, but it actually has to do with the relationship between God and man. So, it's often considered to be a negative word, and if you see it in conjunction with the you know, another idea, like mercy, then it would mean no mercy. But because we're dealing with Hebrew, it may mean no mercy, but it also may mean, have to do with the fact that it's mercy in time. Uh, Because it also, it's not just a negative word, but it also has to do with uh, time. So, anyway... um, That goes back to the idea that I was saying that if you want God to hear you, you have to hear others. If you want the mercy of God, you have to have mercy for others. And so in using this metaphor of her name, they make her out as a woman. She's the daughter named this, not a son, because the woman is the one who's supposed to usually be the compassionate caregiver. And, uh, that's really important for us to understand that these symbolics, just like wisdom, uh, wisdom is almost always considered this feminine, uh, characteristic in the Bible. I mean, in Proverbs mentions women more than any other book and mentions wisdom more than any other book and refers to this woman as being more precious than a ruby. But the reality is women are often not necessarily, we, we, We put this label on them that they're not necessarily logical, but they're intuitive. They may come up with the same conclusion that a logical mind may come up with, but they they come up with it intuitively. And the the woman who is intuitively discerning what the truth is, that is considered wisdom because that is symbolic of the Holy Spirit showing you what the truth is. Men think they can figure it out with their own mind. They can decide what is good and evil. That's why they eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we should be eating of the Holy Spirit, which is intuitive. It's it's wisdom operating through us. So, this is the second child. And it's interesting that we talk about this first child of Jezreel. But... uh what does this Jezreel actually mean? And what it means is it's a, this, uh, God sows. God sows His Spirit, just the same as He breathes on the waters of the deep, and life comes out of the deep, and, uh, Jesus breathes on the apostles when He, he comes out of the tomb, and it, God breathes into Adam, and, uh, Adam has this extra life, because Adam is, is taken from Adama, which is, is, uh, that term is used all the time, uh, as the living souls of the field were Adama, uh, Cain plows the Adama, but Jesus, or God takes Adam and breathes into him. He's sowing the Holy Spirit Into Adam and Eve. And with that Holy Spirit comes a gift. The same as Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit when He breathes on the apostles. He's sowing into them the Holy Spirit. And, uh, Jezreel has to do with God sows. You know? And so, what does that mean? There's a city in Ishikar. is also goes by the same name, and just to point of fact is that uh, Hosea was from the tribe of Issachar, And one of the blessings of the tribe of Ishikar is they could see things far off. They had this ability to uh, see the future. They could see things that other people could not see as clearly. Okay, well, welcome back. I have a little difficulty hearing the station. But uh, anyway, so we were going to... Uh, the bright gave me a little chance to get a few things here organized that I evidently didn't organize this morning at four o'clock when I was out here. <laughs> so we have these three names, and again, these are metaphors and a part of that allegory, but let's go right into, uh, Hosea 2. Uh, because uh, that's where they, he starts to, he's explaining the fact that Gomer is this, uh, whore, or prostitute or someone who betrays the marriage vows even in Hebrew whenever you're talking about marriage you're talking about a contract that is the contract that God allows us to make is the marriage contract we're not to make covenants with them nor with their gods their ruling judges but people have been doing it now for the last hundred years and to the nth degree but Matrimony, where we make a contract with a family in order to receive a wife and a husband takes on the responsibility of that wife and the offspring of that wife and even the the husband's father takes on the responsibility if he's still alive of overseeing if something happens to the son he's going to make sure that the children take care of as well as the brothers to the husband will also make sure that the children are taken care of because those children are, uh, receiving the inheritance of that family. So that was, that was a contract that was, uh, sanctioned by God. The idea of making a contract where you create a nation and a government, you bind all the people together with a contract, that is, that is against what Moses was saying, against what Christ was saying, because it says above all else, Stop the taking of oaths, and all these contracts with the world are requiring oaths, but uh the contract of marriage has been a blessing, and it is the binding it is the corporation of God uh short of the church that's the other corporation of God is the church, and that's a that's a contract between you and Jesus Christ and uh not you and men because uh the church is the the occupiers of the church, the little flock, could not exercise authority one over the other. They 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 belong to God just like the Levites belong to God. They shouldn't belong to anybody else. That's the one way you can tell that this minister is, if he belongs to somebody else, then he doesn't belong to God. So anyway, we're coming on the scene like Hosea after all kinds of problems have been created, and we have to change. Back, and the way you change back is you first have to change your thinking. And you want that thinking to be changed by the Holy Spirit. In order to do that, you have to implement in your life some of these basic changes where you start taking care of one another through charity, where you start forgiving other people, where you start having mercy on people. You know, that's one of the things when people form a congregation. They abandon the congregation because somebody in the congregation is not perfect. Like they're going to find a congregation full of perfect people, and then those people will let them into the congregation. Like I always say, if if you ever found a congregation of perfect people, what makes you think they will let you in? For one thing, a congregation is simply a free assembly. It's not really something you become a member like you become a member of the state. You don't sign up for a congregation and now you're bound in that congregation. It's a free assembly. It lasts until you're not assembled anymore. What it does is you can recognize a minister. And uh, we go through all that. But let's go to Hosea 2 and get through that. It's not a very long chapter. Say ye unto the brethren, Ami. And to your sisters, Ra-Ama. Ami means a nation of people. And Ra'ama is seen as a, a symbolical name given to the daughter of Hosea. And, uh, although it, occasionally we'll see it a slightly written a little, little bit different. Uh, but uh, the reality is that that's actually our name plead with your mother plead for she is not my wife neither am I her husband well again if this is the symbol this is Israel is is being an adulteress so if if that was Israel and Christ is the 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 appointer of the kingdom he took the kingdom away from Israel or away from the Pharisees I mean the kingdom at that time was Judea which was the It had come down to them as the kingdom of Judah. He took the kingdom from the Pharisees who were not bearing fruit. He appointed it to the little flock who were bearing fruit. So now they're Judah. And then later on when you see them going all over the Roman Empire, they're coming across Israel, which is numbering as much as the sand, exactly who they were. Well, the only way you would know that is that they became Christians. They recognized the message of Christ and became Christians. And they were doing in the first century, in the second century, in the third century, and all the way up till the ninth century, they were doing what Christ said to do to lesser or greater degrees. But then rose up kings a thousand years after the fall of Jerusalem in 1066. Kings rose up and began to conquer the people. Uh, Stephen, de Bullion, uh, William the Conqueror—all these guys started going and creating these nations. And the Church of Constantine started crowning these kings. The purpose of the Church was to crown every man in his own family and every woman as the the husband and wife in their own families. Not crown men over men. That was never meant to be from the beginning. We were to have dominion over the fish and the wildlife and the land, etc., but not over each other. But the Church of Constantine thought that was a good idea, and that's why the Church of Constantine now has a leader of that church who's a communist and a socialist. Because he's actually whoring after the same golden calves and calves of Baal that we're going to see in Hosea. So, you need to repent and go back to the ways of Christ by sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and taking care of one another through charity rather than men who exercise authority one over the other. That will open the door for the Holy Spirit to come into you and you become living temples The stones of those temples come together and fit together in a way that is according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And there, God can bring his miracles. Like I was saying, there are certain leaders that said, you're not going to get a miracle. I am one to say, those who repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness will get a miracle. So anyway, in verse 2, it says, Plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. So he's talking about her repenting. Lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born. And make her as a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. If, if she does not put away her whoredoms. See, that's a continuation. Last I strip last I have no mercy for her children. For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax and mine oil and my drink. Why did so many of the uh, citizens of Judea... Hearing Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know, you you cannot enter into the kingdom. He's, He's saying, put away those benefits of the Pharisees that are provided, those wages of unrighteousness that are provided by a Corbin that is forced from the people because you've all registered. And now you have to pay in. Put away those things, and depend solely upon my love, my charity, amongst my people. That's eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Because his blood is freely given. The blood you eat at the coffers of the world, at the uh, at the uh, daily ministration of the world, that meat has blood in it. Because it's forced out of your neighbor's hands. It is the result of covetous practices. So in verse 6 we see, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns, and make a wall, that she shall not find her paths. This is all if she does not repent. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. And then was it better with me than now? Now we see that with the prodigal son. That same kind of story of, of going back to his father's house. And that's what we all need to do. The, the father's house of Christ, the father's house of Moses, the father's house of Abraham was furnished with free will offerings. The table was set with free will offerings, not with forced offerings. This is how you have gone whoring after Baal, and we see in the very next verse, verse eight, "For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. The wealth of America was the result. What made America great was the, the fact that we were taking care of all the social welfare needs in America through faith, open charity. Certainly, people were neglected at times. Certainly, people were abused at times. But our that pervasive nature of taking care of one another, and you can go look up our articles on Alexei Tocqueville, de Tocqueville who wrote about America and what made it great. He was back here in the 1850s. He was looking at America and he was showing what made it great. And he also was showing what made it not so great. Slavery was not doing us any favors. Even though it was only 4% of the Americans owned slaves uh, and it didn't really prosper the South as much as you think. It, actually, it... Slavery, slavery of the blacks actually hurt more white people than it helped because it forced wages down. They, they weren't able, they had a lot of wealth in the South, but it was centralized because of slavery. This is why the people back in 1908, when they wanted to change the way in which Americans viewed history and change your school books, they wanted to do it so that they could comfortably merge you with the Soviet Union and socialism. Because under socialism, power is centralized. No matter what you talk about it being for the people and all this stuff, it won't. It will weaken people and it will strengthen people who will take control and cause the deaths of millions of you. Millions upon millions of you. That's, that's the goal. It wants to wipe man from the face of the earth, really. The evil wants to wipe you, take away your dominion. That was the first command that we had, dress it and keep it. God said to dress it and keep it because you can lose it. And that's what, you're, that's what communism and socialism is trying to do, is to have you sell your birthright for a pot of benefits, for a bowl of porridge. And that's what people have been doing. Now, you can't change the minds of 70 and 80% of the people. You can certainly try. You can sh- certainly try to argue against socialism. I mean, tell you the truth, there's a book, and I, I was looking at it the other day by H.G. Wells. Am I getting that right? <laughs> Author of, uh, of uh, Time Machine and all that stuff. He wrote a book on socialism. And, uh, trading, uh, Old Things for New, I think is the, the, you know, Old Things for New is the the title of the book. I tried to find it on, uh, audio so I could listen to it on audio, but it looks like I may have to read it completely through. But he was making all the arguments against socialism, and that was 1912. Because it was, it was coming into power in 1912. It was, it was raising its ugly head in 1912. And, of course, there were men working at changing the way in which Americans viewed history so that you could be comfortably merged with socialism. And they were very successful in that because public school is socialist. Back uh, back in 1908, most of the schools were not public schools and funded by tax dollars. Now they are. What's happened? Even the school books in the private schools are... The same school books that they intended to change. And and you fall and pray to that. So anyway, it goes on to say, like I said in verse 9, we'll read that again. therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof, and my wine in the seasons thereof, and will recover my wool and my flax, and given to cover her nakedness. Our economy is being destroyed. And it may start to come back in the next four years. Maybe not. I don't know what's going to happen. I I was surprised at a lot of things that happened. But it is actually all happening according to these prophecies. Exactly the time. I don't need to know. Because I don't want you to focus on the bad things that are coming. I want you to focus on the righteous. That's what you're supposed to be seeking. Don't take your hand off the plow and look back. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we're giving you a picture in all these recordings and all these writings on what that looks like. And that's what made America great is that we used to do that. But for a hundred years we haven't. Now we need to go back. Number ten. Verse 10, And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of mine hands. And I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the fields shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, and therefore Nicolaitans, uh, wherein she has burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers, and forgot me, saith the Lord. And that's what we've done. We are no longer living by faith, hope, and charity. We are living by force, fear, and fealty. Because we become addicted to that fear and that force, people are running around wearing masks thinking that that is their salvation. And some will be taking vaccinations thinking that that is their salvation. And some will resist it because they think that they have the power in their own arm to fight against the tyranny they see coming. But, it's very clear in Hosea that He will save us not with the bow. I'm not saying you don't have a right to bear arms, you certainly do, but do not think that that is your salvation. Your salvation is repentance. Seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Learning to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity instead of force. That is what has clouded your vision. Clouded your understanding. Has kept you from the Holy Spirit. And it will keep you from the miracles you will need to survive the days ahead. It's not about surviving. It's about serving one another. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And... I will give her, her vineyards and thence and the valley of Accor, for a door of hope, and she shall sing, there as in the days of her youth, and as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Because that's where you're at right now. Remember the land of Egypt. You didn't own your land. You didn't own your labor. They took 20% of your labor right off the top and you were in the bondage of Egypt. That's the land of Egypt. Egypt means bondage. Today, they take a lot more than 20% because it's worse for you today than in the land of Egypt. And you're in that land of Egypt. You're in that debt. You don't own your land. You don't own your labor. You don't own your children, as we show in the book, Covenants of the Gods, because of your covetous practices. So you want to change that. You have to stop being covetous and start being charitable. And you have to do it in the way that Christ said to do it. Verse 16. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and shall call me no more Bali. For I will take away the names of Balaam, out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the fields, and with the fowls of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. That's what you're going to want. That's where you're gonna to wanna to be. Lying down safely with God. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in the righteous, in righteousness. And in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies because we had mercy for one another, loving kindness for one another. We sought the righteousness of God in the care for one another and the judgment of one another. Meaning, who who needs food? You don't get food just because you say you need it. You get food because we judge you should get food. And we judge that this minister is doing a good job. So we give to that minister. You don't get to exercise that judgment in the world you have made for yourself by going whoring after these other gods. But in God's kingdom you will have that choice. But you first have to repent and change the way you think and go back this other way. Verse 20, I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. And thou shalt know the Lord, and it shall come to pass in that day. I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn, and and the wine, and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. That's back in Jezreel. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy, and I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. But in order to do this, we have to follow Christ. Follow what he actually said. Become doers of the word. Not that we earn it, because we certainly cannot. But we can bar ourselves from the mercy of God by not showing mercy to others. By praying to men who exercise authority to provide us with benefits at the expense of our neighbor in the covetous practices of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've become accustomed to that. We need to turn away from that and go the other way. So anyway, we've we got up to this particular chapter 2, and we've pretty much gone through it. But I really recommend that everybody join the Network, the email network, the Google email network. Get to know other people and form that living network. We have uh, exchanges amongst those who sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They have their own network where they can converse with each other. They can converse with other networks, uh, just like the early church did. And that is what we are desiring to help people build because Christ commanded that we do that. Make the people sit down those tens, hundreds, of thousands so that you can start to live by faith, hope, and charity in a righteous way instead of the forced way that the world has offered and has brought you back into the bondage of Egypt. So this is the repentance of Gomer. This is the forgiveness of Hosea. That we need to seek, which is the forgiveness that Christ offers to us if we will repent and seek His ways and His righteousness and uh, His kingdom. And so, uh, in, in the side notes, I point out that this Ami means nation and, uh, this national adultery is where the modern Christian has gone. And this is why we see the riots and the uh, savagery of the streets. Uh, there's actually an organization I heard about last night that has been bailing out people by the the thousands ten thousand twelve thousand people millions of dollars in bail money put out uh They bailed out one guy who was put in jail for beating his wife got out the next day because of these these people these these uh leftists um, and he went and he he finished the job he beat his wife to death uh There, There is no discretion, no discrimination. They call it mercy, but it is not. Never before have I seen in America where they call evil good and good evil. It is just absolutely astounding how bad it has gotten. But I know that it is going to get worse. And I don't say that to frighten you, but to encourage you that you do not follow after those spirits of anger. Because that's what you see out there in the news, where they're doing these things. They're tempting you to become angry. They're tempting somebody on the right to shoot down a bunch of people on the left, because they're rioting. And uh, the people that have worked them up, the media and the politicians and the people behind the politicians, want to see you get angry and shoot these these violent thugs that are beating old women in the street and and burning down the, their own city they want you to fight violently against them you do need to come together you do need to fight but not with the bow with righteousness you will you will then be blessed by the holy spirit by jesus christ by god himself And they will eventually provide the miracle you need. But until you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, there will be no daily ministration. There will be no caring for one another because you didn't care enough to sit down and gather as Christ commanded. But anyway, uh, God bless and (laughs) peace out of your house. Till next week.